Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, serves as the text for the morning message. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. The human soul is the core of who you are. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18.20, The soul which sins shall die. Your soul is that part of you which makes it possible for you to relate to God. Therefore, it is extremely important. We're going to begin by looking at the meaning of soul keeping as we talk about this whole matter of being obedient to what this passage says when it says keep your soul diligently. To keep the soul is to protect it. It's needing to be protected because of its great value. Jesus says, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That would indicate to us that the value of your soul and my soul is the equivalent of everything combined that the world could offer to you or to me. Are you aware of the value of your soul? That which we value, we protect. And we need to be about the business of keeping our soul, recognizing the significance of the soul. Also, to keep the soul is to develop it. We're going to spend a bit more time here. Anything that's worth having is worth developing, isn't it? God has given us our souls in order to develop them. We develop our souls by practicing what has been called the spiritual disciplines. Now, you may be unaware of that terminology, but let me take just a moment to hit the highlights of some of the spiritual disciplines which are suggested in Scripture, of course, but also have been practiced throughout the ages of the Christian faith. Study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission, solitude, silence. I'm tired already. I don't know about you. (laughs) Fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. These are just some of the activities that Christians have engaged in which would rightly fall under the heading of spiritual disciplines. Practicing spiritual disciplines is training ourselves to be spiritually fit in much the same way as we train ourselves to be physically fit. Keeping your place here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, because we'll be returning... I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verses 7 and 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes to Timothy, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
this idea of training ourselves to be godly is a word or a concept which has the smell of the locker room in it. It smells like a gym. The word train that's used by Paul to describe our training ourselves in godliness is actually the word from which our word gymnasium comes. Here's the question for us today. Are we people who give attention to our spiritual development with the same degree of ardor that we give attention to the development of our physical well-being or at least the maintenance of good health? In 2016, 49.6% of all Americans spent at least half an hour, three days a week in some sort of physical exercise. One of 36,000 gyms in America would have been visited by most of those people. You could say that Americans are hungering and thirsting after physical fitness. The same could not be said, unfortunately, about most of us when it comes to hungering and thirsting after spiritual fitness. Practicing spiritual disciplines involves doing what we can do to receive the power from God to do what we cannot do. That sounds like preacher double talk, but let's go to Psalm 119 and keep your place there, if you will, in 1 Timothy. We're going back there in a little bit as well. Psalm 119, verse 147, which illustrates what I just mentioned, that practicing spiritual disciplines involves doing what we can do in order to receive the power from God to do what we cannot do. In Psalm 119, verse 147, the Bible says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. We have to come before the Lord. We have to put ourselves in a position to hear from the Lord in order to receive that which is necessary for living the life that God has given us to live, to keep our souls, to protect our souls so that we can be the best tools possible in the hands of the Lord. As we see here in the last part of this verse, which we just read from Psalm 119, the psalmist said, I cry out to you early in the morning I arise because I wait for your words. The foundation of spiritual discipline has always been the Word of God. We don't have to worry really about all those other suggestions as to what constitutes spiritual disciplines. If we understand this one, the importance of being rooted and grounded in the Word of God, to be men and women who read the Bible and we study the Bible. In some cases, we memorize parts of the Bible so that we can meditate on God's Word day and night, that we might be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. We will be people who bear fruit and our lives will be indeed lives which is counted, not simply for time, but for eternity. The greatest spiritual discipline that you or I will ever engage in. And it's not beyond the grasp of anyone in this room. If you can read, it is within your grasp. 
If you know Christ, it certainly is within your grasp. Because once having been dead spiritually, you have been brought to life. The eyes of your spiritual life have been enlightened so that the Spirit of God can speak to you just as surely as He spoke to the apostles. So He will speak to us because Jesus said, I will ask the Father, He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. And He said to those same apostles, the Spirit of Christ will teach you. The Spirit of truth will teach you. He will bring to remembrance everything which I have said to you, and you will record it so that future generations of those who come to know me will be people who will not be without the necessary insight they need to know me and to grow in me and to keep their souls diligently. This does require something of a plan. And I'm going to just give you a few principles. First of all, if you're going to exercise this discipline, which is critically important to keeping your soul diligently, you need to have a place, a private place, where you can get along with the Lord. Some of you do not have such a place. You think, well, I, I have a full house already, or I have a small apartment in which I live. I share a dorm room with someone at the university. And you might say, how can I have a private place? Well, may I ask this question? Do you have a closet? Well, you can go in your closet and shut the door. That can become your private place. It's a good place. Jesus even talks about going into your closet now think about the houses of those people to whom Jesus first gave that command in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. They were usually people who lived in a one-room house. All the children and the husband and wife were together, maybe grandmother, grandfather, if there was the extended family. They were people who did not have big homes, small homes. But evidently there were closets and they could escape to that. Find a private place. Maybe a, a patio. Maybe a place that you can go and be alone with the Lord. Establish a set time. Don't be haphazard about keeping your appointment with God. Make an appointment. Make a commitment to be alone with the Lord. Perhaps you're like me. I don't awaken with the use of an alarm clock. I just wake up. It's not the same time every day. It varies from time to time. But what I do know, I wake up real early before anybody else is awake in my house. And consequently, it's very private. And it's the time that the Lord and I meet together. Here's another thing that's necessary. Get an accurate and readable Bible. After having designed a private place, and also establish a set time, get an accurate and readable Bible. Now, I am not a scholar per se, but I have been trained to a degree in the languages of the Bible. And one of the things I'm always interested in is accuracy. If I have to worry about one thing, I want to be sure that the Bible which I'm reading is as accurate to the original language as it can possibly be. Well, 
accuracy and readability. If you can't understand it, it doesn't matter how accurate it is. Am I right about that? The, one, the Bible that I would advise, which does the best job, I believe, of combining accuracy and readability, is the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's outstanding. That's just a suggestion. But find a Bible that you can read, which you have reason to believe is accurate to the original language, and then also is readable. Here's a fourth suggestion, and that is keep a pen and paper handy to record what you learn from the Lord. After all, you're going to meet with the Lord, aren't you? You're there to listen and then to record what you hear Him saying. It might be simply writing down a command. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 14, do everything without complaining and arguing. You're reading along, you think, whoa, I didn't know I should do everything without complaining. It's my favorite pastime. (laughs) Well, maybe the Lord would use a simple statement like that to correct you. And you could come under conviction that you are using your tongue to be negative and pull people down, not build people up. But do that. You might even get a loose-leaf notebook or a spiral notebook and just keep a journal as you're reading along. And then review it periodically to see if there's a pattern in God speaking to you about one or more things in your life which need correcting and then new insights which you have about God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit or about what's true of you as a follower of Christ, what's true of the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible is so rich. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to help us, unlike anything else, to keep our souls diligent. Here's the last thing, and really it's a piggyback on what I just said. Be ready to apply what you learn from the Lord. The Bible says in the book of James, we're not to be hearers of the Word only, but we're to do what we're told. Isn't that true? What good is hearing from the Lord if we do not apply what He calls us to do? We fall short. We won't be keeping our souls diligently. In fact, we will be going in the other direction. Developing the soul requires self-denial. In the book of 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, the story is David had committed a grievous sin. He had taken a census census against the advice of his advisors. And the result was that thousands of people died. And so he was so brokenhearted at his sin. And he wanted to build an altar and offer a burnt offering for his sin and pray for the people who were the sheep of his flock, the nation of Israel. There was a man by the name of Arana. Arana had a hill. It's known as Mount Moriah. Does that sound familiar? Mount Moriah. And David went to Mount Moriah in the area of Jerusalem. And he came to Arana and he said, I want to purchase a piece of your ground in order that I might build an altar to the Lord so I can give a burnt offering, a sacrifice. 
And Arana knew who this was, the king, the great King David. He said, my Lord, I will give you not only the ground that you can build your altar on. My Lord, I will give you the oxen which you can sacrifice to pay for this sin, this burnt offering. And David made an astonishing statement. He says, I will not offer anything to the Lord which costs me nothing. In there, in that statement is a principle. Anything that the Lord calls us to do that will enhance our souls typically is something which requires self-denial. Denying ourselves. It takes self-denial to spend time alone with the Lord. But once you get into that mode, what I can guarantee you, and sometimes I feel resistance to it. I want to pick my phone up and see if I have any text from the night before after I went to sleep. I want to look at the headline news that might be given on my phone. Anybody here beside me like that? I may think I need to go eat some physical food before I feast on the food of heaven and the Word of God, forgetting that what Jesus says is true. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But the reality is it takes some self-denial. But once we get into that part of our day, the most important part is that part of your day that sets the tone for the rest of the day. I have never regretted, I must say, as much resistance as my flesh has given not to spend that time with the Lord in favor of doing God's work even, I have never regretted. It's always been so critically important. It's like the lifeblood of the Christian life. Have any of you, as you drive around the city, seen that Planet Fitness sign? No commitment. Have you seen that sign? No commitment. 25 cents down, $10 a month. Well, that, that just destroys the whole statement of no commitment. It costs you $10.25, right? That's commitment. Somebody had to work to get that $10.25. Look, anything worth having always has commitment attached to it. Always. And our souls are worth committing our lives to the Lord so that, number one, He can empower us. Number two, He can be glorified through us. That's the most important, of course, of all thoughts associated with the development of the soul. The development of the soul requires self-denial. Also, consistency. Consistency is very undervalued in America today. In the book of Second Chronicles 27.6, there is a little-known king of Judah. About six verses are devoted to him. His name is Jotham, or Jotham, depending upon your preferred pronunciation. And this is what the Word of God says about him. He became powerful because he kept an even course in the presence of the Lord his God. People who end up making a contribution that lasts forever are people who take one step at a time. I'm reminded of William Carey, 
who is thought to be the father of modern missions in the Christian history. And it was said about him by himself as he was talking about his impending death to his nephew. He said, on my tombstone, simply write these words, I could plod. In other words, he was a consistent man. There's nothing that flamboyant about consistency. We are more interested in seeing Bryce Hopper Harper hit a grand slam home run than we are in seeing some lesser light get a base hit that got the man on base that made the home run count for the team, the Phillies, whom he played to victory. Consistency. Consistency is what God would have from us. And then here's the other thing. This is really important. Patience. Galatians chapter 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for if we don't give up and we keep on doing that which is good, and there's nothing better than coming to spend time alone with the Lord that you and I will do. Do you know why I say that? It's because of what Jesus said about Mary, the sister of Martha, as she was sitting at his feet and Martha was out busying herself in the kitchen. Do you remember what Jesus said to Martha when Martha complained about her little sister? He said, she has found the one thing which will never be taken away from her. Do you know when you spend time alone with the Lord, listening to Him, keeping your soul, developing your soul, practicing the spiritual discipline of being a man or a woman of the Word of God, that you are doing the one thing that will last forever. Why? Because Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass pass away. Everything else I do is going to pass away except the words of God and living in obedience to the word of the Lord. So, developing the soul requires self-denial, consistency, and patience. When you've read the Bible multiple times, I was talking to a friend of mine on Friday. He told me, I've read the Bible nine times. I said, that's awesome. Are you still reading it? Look, you can't just say, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt and dusting with it. From the looks of your Bible, you may need to dust that off a little bit. But the reality is, God knows we need to continue in the Word. It's life to us. It's the Word of life. Not just reading some little devotional thought that somebody else got out of their quiet time, but going to the Word and spending time developing yourself. Developing the soul is well worth the investment. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 for a second look at that verse 8. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What promise does this spiritual discipline of keeping the soul by reading the Word of God, what promise does it have for this life? Well, I can think of one word that would probably encapsulate all the others, and that is 
contentment, being at peace. God says in Isaiah 48, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. That sounds like contentment to me. Does it to you? How do we know what the commandments of the Lord are? Well, we have to spend time listening, sitting at the feet of Jesus, as it were, hearing from Him, being willing to do what He says we are to do. And it has benefit for the life to come, for sure, doesn't it? Getting right with God now, walking with God now, will result in fruit bearing. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, If we don't give up in due time, if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. We'll be pouring into people godly things because we have spent time alone listening to the Lord. And we have the mind of Christ and we will think like Jesus because we have memorized Scripture. We meditate on Scripture. We chew on it and we apply it to our lives. And fruit is born through our lives for the glory of God. Well, let's move on. Having looked at the meaning of soul-keeping, at the manner of soul-keeping, it's very simple. We're to keep our souls, how? Diligently. This word diligently is a very multifaceted word in the Old Testament language. For instance, it's used in Genesis 1.31 when Genesis says this, God saw all that He made and it was very good. The word very is too mild a word. The word means exceedingly good. Everything that God does is exceedingly good, isn't it? It was exceedingly good. And then in the book of 2 Kings, one of my favorite kings in the history of the people of God, Josiah. A remarkable statement is made in that passage about this great king. It said, There was none before him or after him who turned with all that was in him to the Lord. He turned with all his heart, and get, get this, with all his soul and with all his strength, according to all that was written in the law of Moses. That would be, in his day, the Bible. How do you suppose that happened with Josiah? He started as a boy, actually. If I'm not mistaken, when he was eight years of age, he became king. When he was 16, he began to seek the Lord. And he began to read the law of the Lord. And as he progressed into adulthood, he became a man who was used by God to bring a great spiritual revival in the nation of Judah. And the word that is used here for diligently is used by the writer of 2 Kings several times when he uses the word all, 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 all. And the idea is that idea of passionately. We are to keep our souls passionately. That which we value, we protect passionately. I was with my family many years ago outside of Dallas at a place called Camp Hoblitzel. It's a Salvation Army camp, beautiful camp. And my son, a good friend of his, my daughter, my wife and I had gone there for a spring break 
trip. We were there a couple, three days. One day, my son, who at the time probably was about 10, 11 years old, maybe 12, still in grade school, he came running in. He was just in tears, and he was out of breath, and he was crying, and I couldn't get him to quiet down. I said, what happened, son? What happened? And he had his gun in hand. It was a BB gun, not a, an actual automatic weapon. It was a BB gun. He'd been out hunting birds or whatever. And he said, Daddy, I was out looking for birds to shoot, and all of a sudden, this snake began to run after me. And I started running, and it continued to run after me. Now, I don't know what kind of snake it was. It could have been a blue racer or something like that. But it could have been, and I have reasonably, probably it was probably a water moccasin mother who had babies on a nest. And when someone started getting close to that nest, what does the mother instinct do? That mother instinct is passionate and vehement and exceedingly agitated about anything that might happen to her babies. Why? Because I guess snakes love their babies. I don't know. But nevertheless, it, it, it seems like they would care for them, of course. They're pre preparing to protect them. But we should have this kind of attitude toward our soul to keep it diligently. Now let's look at the mission of soul keeping. Going now back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Let's look again at this great verse of Scripture. Only give heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently. Now here's the mission. Twofold. First of all, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. Now, allow some interpretation here. The word translated things, interestingly, is not what we would think when we look at this with our English reading eyes. Actually, the word things is the word words is what it really is. So let's substitute that literal translation. So that you do not forget the words which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. You know, God speaks things into existence. God speaks in the heavenlies, and then things happen in the physical realm. Think about what these people had seen. What had they seen? They had seen, some of them at least, those who had not been born during the wilderness wandering, but who were old enough to remember what took place to liberate Israel from Egypt's bondage, they had seen ten incredible plagues at the hands of God. Would that make a lasting impression on you? You would think it would. What else had they seen? They had seen the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of the most powerful army in the world by God without their lifting a single finger picking up a single weapon. They had seen God prepare and provide food for them. Food that was heavenly food. It was described in the book of Psalms as the food of angels, manna, which simply means what is it? They had never seen it. That's what they called it. What is it? But they ate it morning and evening, six days a week. It came down on the Sabbath. They did not get the food, but on the day before the Sabbath, on the Friday of every week, there was double 
portion provided. They'd seen that. They'd seen God, when they were dying of thirst on more than one occasion, God provided water. Those are the things they forgot. They were apt to forget at least. So keep your soul diligently. And how does keeping my soul diligently ensure that I won't forget? It's because reading the Word of God every day keeps me from forgetting the mighty acts of God. Now, I haven't seen any of those things I mentioned happen. I believe they happen. But what I can tell you, I have seen God do things for me for over 60 years. And they're not all that dramatic, but I know it was the hand of God. When He provided for me, just like He provided food for those people and their clothes didn't wear out and their sandals, He's provided food and clothing for me all these days of my long life. I've seen Him do it. I've seen Him change dead men into living men. I'm not talking about being raised from the dead physically. I've seen God change people from being dead spiritually to coming alive. And then I've seen those same men and women in some cases, be used by God to bring others to know the Lord. Unbelievable. It's easy to forget those things, though, if we take our eyes off of the Lord and we neglect keeping our souls diligently to our own peril. We must not forget the words God has said and the things which were the result of those things which He said, which we have seen with our eyes, the eyes of faith, sure, when we read Scripture, but also as we've seen it in our own personal walk with the Lord, so that they will not depart from our heart all the days of our life. It's always too early to quit in our pursuit of the Lord. In fact, I believe that the closer we get to that day, we, none of us knows when that day will be. Martin Luther said he only had two days on his calendar. One was that day, talking about the day he would stand before the Lord in judgment, but also today. Today. Those are the two calendars that we have. We live today in light of that day. And we want to live in such a way that we can present God, a heart of wisdom. Certainly we do. Keeping our souls diligently. Don't forget what you've seen God do. Here's the second thing in the last part of verse 9 of Deuteronomy 4. Make them known. Make all those things you have seen known to your sons and to your grandsons. I asked Mike to read from the book of Judges. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. You might have wondered and may have wondered, why did the pastor ask Mike to read that passage of Scripture? Well, because when Joshua died, the Scripture says, all the generation who had seen the things that we're hearing Moses say to them, they were the ones to whom this was addressed. The next generation, what had happened? There had been a failure on the part of Joshua and all those people who heard these words. Had they done what the Scripture says? 
had they told them to their sons and to their grandsons, to their daughters and their granddaughters, listen, mothers, this is your assignment. It's not just for the mothers, dads. It's for us as parents. This is our assignments. We are to talk about what God has done, what we've seen Him done, do rather, and how He has worked on our behalf. How do we make these things known? Well, we live these things out, first of all, but example, as good as it is, will never get the full story over to our children and grandchildren. We have to explain what our eyes have seen. This has to be done verbally. We talk about it. When you're hanging around and there's some idle time, when you're driving down the car, make everybody put their phone away. Don't have any TV screen with a movie on it. Cut off all electronic communication. And then just talk about what the Lord is to you and what He's done in your life and what you've seen Him done, do. Talk your, to your children about this. But then this can also be done in writing. Many of you are not interested in writing. It's becoming a lost art. But it's well worth our time to give a written description of what we have seen God work in our lives, in our children's lives, and in our family's life in general so that they will know the ways God has worked in you and in me and in them. This can be passed down from generation to generation as a witness to God's goodness and the greatness of our God. Here's a question for us to ask. The question is, does my desire for spiritual fitness exceed my desire for physical, intellectual, emotional, and social fitness? May I say, I can be physically fit, intellectually fit, emotionally fit, socially fit. If I'm not spiritually fit, what difference does it make? means nothing. And I'll go so far to say, if you and I are spiritually fit, we will have a higher probability of being physically fit, intellectually fit, mentally, socially fit, any other sort of description of fitness you might come up with. It has to do beginning with spiritual fitness. The Bible speaks to all those issues, all of them. And we rob ourselves, deprive ourselves of this great need in our lives. Here's some quotes to consider. These are the words of Solomon. Apply yourself to discipline. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. The last aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That has to do with discipline. Ask the Lord to fill you with the Spirit of God. Say, Lord, you know how undisciplined I am. You know how I'm ADD, ADHD, whatever that means. I think it's SAD, that's my acronym, Spiritual Attention Deficit Disorder. That's really what it is. 
But that's not an excuse. The Lord has given you this. If you know Him, He will help you to concentrate long enough, sit still long enough, put your phone away long enough, turn all electronic devices off long enough to spend time alone with the Lord. He will do it. Apply yourself to discipline. Here's another quote. This is from Elton Trueblood, a great Christian. He was a Ph.D. in philosophy. He was a Quaker. This is what he wrote. Discipline is the price of freedom. That's true, isn't it? How does someone learn to play magnificent music or be able to sing a song? How do people develop that? Some people are just naturally gifted, but even the most naturally gifted musician has to spend long hours in practice. Paderewski, one of the great violinists in the history of modern music, said, if I fail to practice one day, I know it. If I fail to practice two days in a row, my wife knows it. If I fail to practice one week, the whole world knows it. This was the great virtuoso, the great Paderewski. But he understood the incredible importance of discipline. Discipline is the price of freedom. And then from a dear woman of God who was very disciplined, a courageous woman, Elizabeth Elliot, she said, freedom is the reward of discipline. There's great freedom in keeping our souls diligently, isn't there? Some concluding verses of Scripture. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, this is addressed to God, obviously, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The word number suggests to organize them and prioritize Teach us to number our days so on that day we will be able to present to you a heart of wisdom because you have used that commitment to keeping ourselves diligently to build your life into us. Psalm 84.10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day, one hour, one minute is worth a thousand days, a thousand hours, a thousand minutes. Look, if you and I spent on average 30 minutes a day with the Lord, would that be a waste of time? No. It would be that which God would use to build His nature more fully in us. We already are partakers of the divine nature, but Christ would become more and more prominent in our lives and He would be getting out of us into other people's lives. And then lastly, Psalm 16.11. Psalm 16.11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The devil is the master of hoodwinking us, deceiving us, telling us that God's a killjoy, being a follower of Jesus is terrible. 
It's just a waste of time. Quit smoking whatever you're smoking and come smoke what we're smoking. That's what the devil's people would say. We just want to trust the Lord, don't we? Let's bear this in mind. Mothers, fathers, all of us. You may not be a parent. You may not even aspire to be a parent. You may never be a parent. But this is for each of us. Give heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently so that you will not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So they won't depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then pass those things on to your children and to your grandchildren. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us a soul. Forgive me, Lord, for wasting that soul at times in favor of trivialities, things that won't last. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to really move us individually as a church to be a church that is made up of souls who are filled with Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.